I've been looking forward to having today's guest on the podcast for a long time. Barry Lieberman is a passionate advocate for sustainability. She's co-founder of the Small Giant Impact Investing Firm. She's the editor-in-chief of Dumbo Feather. And most importantly, she tells it how it is. Barry and her husband, Danny Almagor, founded Small Giants in 2007 to support a new breed of businesses that are focused on empathy and building strong communities. They fund and manage a portfolio of companies as tools for social and environmental impact to shift away from blind faith in economics and instead embrace ecology as the path to living a life of passion and purpose. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big questions about the future of sustainable business, the new economy, and how the way you spend and invest your money can have a big impact. In a sanitized world of Instagram filters and PR companies, it was refreshing to sit down for some real talk with Barry about the urgency of the challenges facing our environment, but also to dig into how we got here, why we've all become so obsessed with consumption and status symbols, and the challenge of finding contentment. It's a paradox that the greater the affluence and the abundance of our society, the more we seem to want, and the harder it is to be content. Very helps to build businesses that are working to define a new economic paradigm that's all about providing what we need rather than fueling our greed. So let's dive in. I really enjoyed this chat. Barry pushed me to think really deeply about the issues that are at the core of this podcast. And while the result was cathartic for me, I hope there's lessons in there for you too. And uh, as always, you can find the show notes on my website at johntreadgold.com. And if you have a moment, please do leave me a review on iTunes. All right, enough out of me. Let's dive in to my conversation with Barry Lieberman. Here we go. Part of what you're saying is good and yet framing around not-for-profits, NGOs, philanthropy, philanthropists, people using their foundations for impact investing. As far as I'm concerned, that's not at all what impact investing is supposed to appeal to, nor what it is supposed to represent. And I think terming it or framing it impact investing and then trying to measure it based on old systems, economic paradigms is a challenge because what happens is people think it's an asset class or it's a sector that they're investing in with their foundation money. And what happens is that ethics and morality is able to still be cordoned off. There's a rope around it and it lives over there with the foundation funds because they can be gambled, so to speak, in impact investing, which has a social good metrics on it and a kind of environmental metrics if you so wish to apply it. And that just is another comfortable pigeonhole to put this whole conversation in and that's not the goal or the purpose of impact investing so I almost want to throw the term out because it's just so comfortably applied by those in the financial sector which is oh great this is this new growth sector and it's just really smart to invest in it and actually you ensure your portfolio over the coming decades if you do but we're not going to invest our hefty capital in that direction because that would require risk 
and the bulk of people's capital is still in largely just in traditional markets, doing business as usual. And that's, for me, a huge concern. It's not what those of us who were early in the um, space were trying to do when we move financial capital in service to the planet and community. So I'm wary of framing language and framing now when people talk about impact investing. Very good. And so you you want to have a a pure business approach rather than it being muddied by these ideas of philanthropy? No, I just think philanthropy is a safe place to put your values and your ethics because it's a tiny portion of people's financial capital spend. You cannot solve the problems that we are facing with 1% of global financial resources. We have to be viewing it as a whole systems change. That's the difference. This isn't an asset class. It's not a sector. Impact investing was a provocation to say, how can we use financial capital in service to a vision of the world we know is possible and want to leave to our children and grandchildren? That's the real conversation, not how can we comfortably weave some of our like tiny, tiny bit of our capital into doing good. This is not a feel good and a doing good and a philanthropic hat on conversation. Philanthropy has been the hiding place for people who are otherwise destroying the planet and community willfully in an unconscious way with the bulk of their capital. So I don't want to have a conversation about philanthropy. Philanthropy is ineffectual in the face of the challenges that we have ahead of us from environmental collapse, vast ecosystems collapsing, to really the breakdown of democracy with the advent of technology and the manipulation by the larger financial institutions of that technology to gain larger portions for themselves. It's the having and the hoarding. And it's a viewing of financial capital in an incredibly linear and narrow perspective. So that's what I'm talking about. I think, you know, impact investing has always suffered because it's in that private equity. I guess that's the point. Even if we don't call it impact investing, but if it sits as a a structure of private equity, then that's still going to be a small allocation, still going to be a small percentage because most financial capital is tied up in big public markets. So this concept that you use for your company, your co-founder and creative director of Small Giants, and, and you guys uh, talk about being focused on empathy and the new economy. So maybe that's a better way to frame it. So can you tell us, yeah, what is the new economy, the next economy? I think it's really important to know where we are and the context that we're sitting in. So it's everything I just said. We are faced with vast planetary ecological across nations, continents, above land and and below the oceans. And that is a profound context to be living in. We're also seeing systemic political collapse, those institutions that held us to a certain kind of way of life are disintegrating before our very eyes and there's a lot of clutching and grabbing at who has the narrative. And it's a lot of people born in the 20th century who manage, own steer our institutions and the vast bulk of capital that flows in the world with a particular framing, a particular vision and view of the world, which is that we can endlessly grow 
with an endless depletion of planetary and community resources. So I think that this generation, our generation, our children and our grandchildren are going to have to pay the bill. And that's intergenerational injustice. And a lot of people who are currently benefiting from business as usual refuse to have that conversation. And that's what I was talking about with willful unconsciousness. So the context we are in is an economic system and paradigm that had served us very, very well to a certain point with reduction in poverty globally, lifting people out of poverty. Using the economy to do that was a quite blunt instrument. It's not a very nuanced instrument and it can be readily and easily manipulated by people who know how to game the system. And what we talk about at Small Giants when we talk about empathy in the new economy is really moving from a me economy, which is about individual benefit being serviced by knowing how to game a system, to the we economy, where a system can be designed and has been designed, actually. Kate Raworth designed the donut economy paradigm, which is the donut as a circular model where we live, work, and trade and do business in a sweet spot that is functioning within the boundaries of our biosphere and towards human flourishing. That's the only conversation I really want to have, which is how are we going to do that and can we even do that given we are so far stretched beyond those boundaries at the moment. We need to head into a rapid and robust reset of all of our systems and our institutions. And I think that's really up for grabs at the moment. It's really great to break down, I think, a lot of the assumptions we make. And I mean, that's a term they use in economics to talk about, you know, the baseline of things that can't be changed. And a lot of that is um, that people want, you know, more rather than less, this assumed greed, and that the individual maximise for themselves rather than society. I think the only baseline that, that can't be changed is we are living in a fundamental economy, which is the ecology. And that is our baseline. We cannot extend beyond planetary boundaries and resources. And we're currently just actually sitting in a car that's heading off a cliff, if not has headed off the cliff already. And it benefits a few people for, an, a, you know, the next couple of years. That's it. Well, that's it. And I think in the way that we can bash economics, I think there are, you know, some factors in there, negative externalities and these elements that there are theories about how we can value natural resources and in that way put a price on it and so that that should balance it out. All right. I'm not bashing economics, by the way. I am saying that it is a very powerful and robust tool that we absolutely must and can use to head into a regeneration of all of our systems, not bashing it. What I am deeply and fundamentally challenging is the operating system that we have used to date. It no longer serves us. It may have served us in the past, but we don't really have the time to argue that point. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I have strong arguments for both. It's how can we pivot to a new economy and quickly that is in service of life, all life on earth, not just ours and not just those who were born into privilege. So I think measuring carbon is super tricky, man. That's a whole landscape that I'm not informed enough to speak about. But my intuition on that is it's another system that can be gamed and shuffled around the board to serve a few and not many and that it can be easily and readily manipulated to look like a system that's working. But once again, it's just like a kind of uh, 
fake financial instrument. We need real on-the-ground change in industries like agriculture, technology, building, infrastructure. That's what we're all about here, trying to come up with these solutions and trying to break down, you know, the problems of the past and how we can move forward. And if, you know, we look at films like 2040, which have a really great message of the technology that we have available now that can sort of, you know, really be the start and be the lead. We've got a lot of people in our communities that are are driving forward. When I talk about economics, I try to break down where is the market failure. And in some ways, I think, you know, some people say, well, where's the government? You know, where's the regulation? I think a lot of people have become fed up with that. They've realised that there's too many vested interests that that have their cause into politics. And so we then move on to the private sector and looking at the businesses that are operating more efficiently. They're producing products that are reacting to this climate crisis. And so, and, and I see that that's the kind of businesses that you guys are supporting and you guys are building. But is it enough? Like, what's the next step? The next step is a kind of broad questioning for each person I look often to people who have access to power and resources so I would say that for the vast majority of everyday Australians who are legends they're kind of doing their best you know reducing their household consumption and plastics and waste management like that's in your household that's a kind of everyday Australian approach to how to kind of live into a new way of being on the planet and they're doing good works in their community etc but when I'm speaking to answer that question of what is the next step it's not for a few people to create impact product to make everybody feel safe that they can now invest in that future it's those who have power in agency having a good long serious introspective look at themselves and how they measure risk and how much of their own financial capital they are actually investing in the world we know is possible. Because if you get an honest answer from even people who are impact investors, most of them are only impact with 10% of their portfolio. We need everybody 100% all in now, yesterday, 10 years ago, actually. And that is the much more uncomfortable conversation to be having because we can pivot so fast if more people reframe how they view risk and what the purpose of financial capital is for. What is it for? What should it serve? And how much is enough? And I just think those are the only questions for people of agency and privilege to be asking themselves right now. Well, that's right. I mean, and I just think it comes back to incentives because even if we're talking about the people with agency and power, those who have put a 5% allocation to impact investing and they think that their their job's done, but then there's 95% of people who haven't even considered impact investing. They think that's a, a communist uh, conspiracy and, and they're not engaged with it. Who thinks it's a communist conspiracy? Oh, have you been on Twitter lately? There's a lot to No. Be. Oh, but Twitter, you know, to be very wary of Twitter, Twitter is a manipulated algorithm. I can't believe anybody takes anything that's said on Twitter seriously anymore. I mean, it is enclaves of algorithms manipulated by enormous corporations and all your data is owned. I don't think that's a true expression of humanity and where people are and what they really think. Do you? Well, I think, I think that if we're trying to take the temperature, what about the recent election in Australia? It was a manipulated event. It wasn't what people really feel. There's not an Australian who doesn't care about changing climactic conditions as it affects farmers. I think that, that we need to be very, very, very clear. Are we talking about 
algorithmic manipulated corporate opinion or are we talking about like human consciousness and where people really sit in their everyday on the ground there is not a farmer today who is has less yield their soil is dying less yield than their fathers less yield than their grandfathers and i'm, I'm using the masculine because that's vastly been where the ownership has been held and they're saying they're okay with that having to use GMO crops that promise to deliver something that it does not deliver. I think that globally, systemically, it really depends if you're talking about on the ground, grassroots, in conversation, people in the world and Twitter spheres and Instagram landscapes. These are not real and true landscapes. They have potency and power because they steer elections. It's incumbent upon all of us to know what is a real conversation and what is a manufactured one and I, I do not subscribe to these conversations whatsoever I think that we need people showing up in real time not on their phones to fight for what they really care about and when I talk about financial capital in service of that that's a real-time contribution and I would hope that most people listening to this podcast are questioning how they're being manipulated by algorithms, that's one of the most important personal activist moves you can make. Like, I think it's interesting, the idea of the consciousness. Is there a person out there in Australia who really doesn't like trees, who would rather it's all concreted and they prefer malls and they prefer driving? Because I think, uh, you know, this is the debate that was very surprising to me in Australia. And maybe it is more than just the environment. You know, if we talk about the last election, it was about more than the environment. But I think there really is a certain element of this individualistic view of my family unit is what matters, that having a bigger house and more cars is what matters. And while, sure, they're never going to say, I want smog like in China and I want, you know, nothing but buildings. But at the same time, perhaps that's what you're talking about, that they haven't made the connection that they're really that their expectations and their consumerist kind of lifestyle that they're driving towards is the very antithesis of the beauty that we enjoy in Australia and that the two can't work together. Is that how you sort of think about it? Like I'm just trying to break down why everybody's not up in arms and why we're not tearing down coal-fired power plants and why, you know, all of these elements of what is that blocker? Yeah, okay, I understand. And I share with you your anger and frustration and hurt even that all of Australians, those of us lucky enough to live in this exquisite place with all of these natural resources and this incredibly robust economy to date, like really, I mean, we couldn't have been born into a sweeter place and a sweeter moment in time and that everybody wouldn't want to protect that with everything they have is shocking. I think what you said, though, is true, that their frame for what is real is different to the framing you just gave of what is happening on the planet and that we've been talking about. I'm not saying anything new, so forgive my repeating stuff, but we've never been more disconnected. People sit in their cars when they get home from work with their hearts racing and a kind of panic attack ensuing and they don't know why, even though they've got the house and the car and the beautiful family and there's something still missing and I think that the baby boomers who still yield wield hold most of the power and the financial capital on the planet right now have no incentive as you said to pivot to a new system none whatsoever first of all they're not going to live to see the the true collapse of the ecology 
They're seeing it a bit now, but, you know, they can get on a private jet and go away from it. Their children, who are the beneficiaries of comfort and the kind of a paradigm you just mentioned about the bigger house, the bigger car, the, the better Gucci shoes and the Instagram life, I think that a lot of people know that they're living in a state of anxiety and disconnection, but they don't know a way out of it. And I think the way to a new way of being on the planet where we can have an economy that understands it is a living system inside a living system, inside the economy and the ecology, sorry, as a boundary, that is an emergent space and that is being pioneered every day in this conversation you and I are having. How do we transition to the world we know is possible when the old system will actually not go down without a fight. And that's what we saw in the last election. You know, the only person who's all in right now is Clive Palmer. He put $50 million in the election. You want to know why? Because he is in an industry that's dying hard and fast and he just wants to squeeze the last bit of juice out of it. So $50 bucks for Clive Palmer is nothing when he's protecting billions in coal. And that's what we saw with previous prime ministers, current prime ministers who hold coal up in parliament and talk about being the future of Australia. I think that's an old world paradigm that it does not want to go down without a fight. And I understand that. I, I do understand that. Part of my own privilege comes from fossil fuels and that economy. So I get that the intention behind using those natural resources, mining the earth for what it could give us, was an amazing outcome for a really long time. The inability to see what it's doing to the planet and community is just, at this point, it's willfully unconscious. It's, I don't want to witness or be truthful about how it's impacting everyone around me. I think we're all practicing and trying to lean into how to do things in a new way. And those of us who are leaning all the way over into doing that have to just like keep leaning into that practice and understand that there's enough for everyone's need, just not enough for everyone's greed. And that's a new paradigm. I really do agree with all of that. You know, I think there's this stagger, I mean, industrial revolution, amazing developments. And, you know, to look at people lusting after cars that have internal combustion engines when this seems like such old technology now. I find it so odd that people would rail against wind farms and electric cars. Yeah, but do you know how much the coal industry spent on spinning the story about the fossil fuel economy and denouncing the renewables economy, they spent somewhere in the realm of, I heard this the other day, a billion dollars. We are up against legitimate, real, active forces that do not want a threat to their piece of the pie. And they will do pretty much anything to defend it. I get that. I get it. They are aware of the existential risk to their bottom line. What isn't happening is that the rest of community, although it is happening with amazing movements on the planet right now, is that everybody else understands that we have a meta existential risk. They understand it because they see it when they have their quarterly meetings. They see the bottom line threatened. They've had projections. The coal and fossil fuel industry understand what is in front of them and they're very clear and we just need to get really clear. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a big con going on there. 
and you know we, we've got parliamentarians holding pieces of coal our current prime minister <laughs> yeah well that's right i mean this is what i mean that that he managed to win the election even with that whole element and yes you know it's outrageous the billions that are spent by the lobby groups even the subsidies that are still being paid to these companies that have billion dollar profits is outrageous and so i just wonder why is it enough to have conned all of these people and as you say everybody in their heart has a consciousness about you know our unity and and our ecology and our linkages to each other and the fact that we need trees to breathe and all of these elements but still people say, no, I'm, I'm going to stick to my V8 because I love petrol. And it's like, well, look, I know you love your car and we all have transport, but if there's a cleaner way, why do you really care? It's just getting from A to B. So I think there's certainly a, a certain tribalism there. And I think these are all of the things that I'd love to try and break through of how we can make the scale of the kinds of businesses that you're building, the kinds of ideas that we're talking about here, breaking through the lobbying so that people, when they, they go to vote, they can see through the con and try to discover what it is they really want you know i think that illusion that imagery of people sitting in their car with the cortisol firing and they've been in a stressful job all day and they've got a car and they've got a house but they open instagram and they still want more i think that's so powerful i think contentment is a really rare thing and a really valuable thing and so you know we're kind of doing some circles here because i think there's a certain economic paradigm that drives that in terms of growth and profit the whole economy drives that not a certain aspect of it the entire current economic system drives that isolation separation and dissatisfaction but in some ways i feel that pure economics would have more would value more and would be more efficient what's pure economics economics that's not driven by uh, vested interests and politics and corruption like the ecology <laughs> well, exactly no this, this is exactly right and so I think that it's the corruption at certain level that breaks it down. Coming back to what you guys are doing at Small Giants, how then are your businesses operating within a system, a trade system where, you know, you need to make a profit to survive and you need to sell more things, you need to compete, you need to extract resources and value add. If there's a negative paradigm of more, 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 what's the middle line that you guys are taking to move beyond that sort of extractive form of economics? Wow. Okay, I understand your question. I understand your question. I just have never ever thought of it in that in particular that way. Okay, so the businesses that we are in, there are definitely the challenges of leaning into consumer appetites. So we had a organic feminine hygiene retail business, but it served a purpose which was freedom and emancipation of kind of women's needs and providing something that that was really needed to empower women are you saying how to do business in a new economy i think some people think that business is is a very simple thing it's you know you you produce something and then you sell it for more than you your costs of inputs and that then that you know that that's the system but obviously, if you, if you multiply that up and up, then we get the ugly multinationals that we have now that are very destructive. Okay, okay. So business is nothing but an expression of who we are. It is nothing else. You can try your darndest to separate it and assume it is an objective intellectual exercise, but it is not. It is an expression of who we are in the world and the world we want to create for our children, that's what it is. 
you know, my father was a fan of Milton Friedman. He loved Ayn Rand as well. I get all of that libertarian kind of this is, you know, I can do all these things and they're separate too and it's it's a tool, you know. I get that. But every single thing we say and every single thing we do in life is an expression of where we are at and who we are becoming. And it's the same for business. So business is the stuff of life. If you frame your business activities around a triple bottom line, people, planet, profit, you've already framed what you're going to do within the boundaries of accountability and love. I care about my values are aligned with enough for everyone's need, not for everyone's greed, including my own. Business should be a force for good in the world. And it can be if it is in service to a higher purpose than profit for profit's sake. I mean, it's just an outrageously unnuanced, unsophisticated proposition. The business was ever just in service to profit alone is it's actually laughable at this point, given what we're witnessing on the planet, what's happening. So I think, you know, we use B Corporation as a certification to kind of hold us to account to higher values to make sure that we have checks and balances externally imposed. We sort of sign up for accountability. We say we are human beings, we are flawed, our ego will get in the way, our greed, our want, our own kind of blind spots will always be tripping us up. So how can, as you said earlier in the conversation, we create an environment of accountability that is incentivizing us towards our best selves, not our most reductionist base, primal, animal. Yeah. Oh, look, it's just got me thinking in so many different angles. I've got this kind of abstract view that I think about sometimes where people say, you know, animals aren't intelligent, that we're the intelligent ones. But in fact, all of the animals, if we're sort of on the outside, they're all living within an ecosystem. They understand that things grow and things die and that they can only have certain bounds. If the water runs out, then, you know, their group's going to die. So they have to conserve it. But then we think that we're more intelligent, but we just consume, 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 and we control it all. So I think that comes back to your idea of ecology. But what it does make me think about is this word greed and whether that's innate. And, and I was once explained to me that the reason humans, you know, Homo erectus kind of evolved was because we were willing to gamble that one of us was willing to go, you know, I think I can walk a bit further out on that branch. Yes, it's dangerous, but if I can get that coconut or whatever it was I was going for, then I'm going to be so far ahead and I've suddenly got all of the capital. And we take that risk and someone's taken that risk in the past and, and that's how we evolved and moved away from other animals that are far more risk averse and they just keep it within the system. So I'm going off on a bit of tangent here, but I think it tries to capture some of the philosophy. And what it comes down to is this idea of greed and the individual going, I can just get a little bit more. I can push, sure, there's a social license of operating, but we also have, which are, are bounded by laws, but you can push laws. And I think that's where a lot of these issues we come up against are, should it be up to regulation? Because if we all live within the society, we all live consciously, then you wouldn't, you know, stretch and you wouldn't push the letter of the law that far. You know, that's where we have this destructive, extractive nature. So, how can we get people to pull back, to live within the society, not to take that, you know, reach that hand out just because you can, to think more of the society? Yeah, look, my only answer there is love. But I would say anyone who says that nature and animals and the ecology is not an intelligent system is trapped in an 18th century understanding of their place in the world. 
The Indigenous Australians talk about caring for country and they also talk about we are country. I think that just living into these ideas we're talking about, living into love, like for me, I would frame it as love in action. I am working with as live material myself. Like I am greedy. I am wanting, like I love power. I love money. I'm like lured and attracted and captivated by and confused by all the things that we are talking about writ large in society. I am mothering my three children. I do it really well some days and high five myself and poorly and unconsciously on other days. I love business. I love working with financial capital as a healing modality in the system. The current system is broken. We need a new one, the end. I mean, no doubt about it. I'm not trying to fix the old system that is dying hard. I am trying to midwife a new system and hospice an old in myself and in the world. I don't want to sort of fix anyone else because it's not possible because how can we fix anyone else when we haven't like I have to work on the daily on having love and compassion for myself and in doing that if I can if there's a crack in the universe and I'm able to actually hold myself with loving attention it's amazing what that does for my children my my marriage my businesses the people I work with and that's really hard to do so it's bigger than been her the task we have in front of us right now because there's an urgency and a timeline and old ideas and old stories of who we are they die really hard but we were you know on ships and conquering the world and men were conquering women and women didn't have a voice and women were in the care economy trying to just hold up the nine tenths of the iceberg that's underneath conquering and dominion over and having and owning and possessing and hoarding women have always had to live into sharing and into caring and a whole lot of other things so now we're in this kind of incredible moment in time where we can experiment and throw out all those old stories and welcome new stories and listen to the indigenous communities of the world who've had such ancient wisdom just in their bodies and in their kind of knowing and if we can listen to new narratives and let go of old ones, we might have a fighting chance of living into and creating the world we know is possible when we are our most loving and peaceful and centred and hopeful. Like everyone's afraid of this kind of fearful narrative of the end of the world is nigh and the ecological collapse and everything. But I would say don't be afraid. This is our moment to wake up and hold hands and really lean in with all of our capital to invest in a hopeful future. I, I mean, I absolutely think it is possible. Whether we will or not will depend on our ability to tolerate discomfort. And we've talked a lot about the need for systems change, but are you, are you optimistic? What have you seen change in the last five, 10 years that, that's making you optimistic? Well, impact investing is a space a real space with passionate, enthusiastic people wanting to make it the new economy. Am I hopeful? Absolutely, I'm hopeful. I just think, I think people are good and some people have lost their way and I think we can do it. And I think the economy and business is one of our most powerful tools to help us pivot quickly. 
I think politics is changing and there are incredible grassroots movements that give me enormous courage and the conversation's shifting around dinner tables everywhere in the world. People are awake to the challenges that we have and it's making people question themselves. It's making you, you know, would you have imagined you would have done a podcast on this five years ago? No, well, look, it was all up in my head. I guess I thought I was a little bit crazy. And I was like, no, I'm just the only one. And I've got this crazy view. And that. What was your crazy view? Well, just this idea that we are, that it could be reversed, that this concept of profit maximization, um, you know, the only way to success and the only way to be successful is bigger car, bigger house, more, more, more. And that in the end, humans are flawed, we're a cancer. And that in the end, we're going to eat the earth up and it's going to spit us out in some sort of tsunami or uh, ice age, you know, and then when this, I guess, uh, sort of momentum I got caught up with, and then suddenly I found I could have a voice and I could speak to people like you who are starting businesses and hang on, these concepts that I learned in economics, we can go back and use the pure element of it in terms of balance, in terms of efficiency, in terms of, uh, you know, creating positive incentives rather than negative ones. Yes, to all of that. Well, that's it. And, and even just having a voice, I guess, is the first step. I understand you're, you're talking about the poetry of something. You're saying that there is a kind of highest expression of something, of the economy, of, of its purpose, and, and that you want to lean into that. And I say yes to that, brother. And it's just in the doing of it. Like, say you've got all these ideas, that the ideas are like leaning into life. What does life ask of you right now? And can I make that a business? And my answer is yes. Of course. When someone said to me, like, not long ago, what is the value of ethical investing? And I said, oh, my God, what is the value of non-ethical investing? What is the value of business as usual? I don't see it. I see the entire world as business functioning as a force for good that elevates community and regenerates the planet. That's entirely doable. It's, it's whether or not we believe that to be true and then go and do it. That has been something I've leaned into passionately all my working life and there are people doing it all around the planet and I think as an older generation, let's go with the reins. We can do it faster and faster. Look, this has been so great. You know, so many of these podcasts, I guess, can become a little bit formulaic but I love that I've, you know, not really asked any of the questions that I plan to ask you that we've gone way off piece and we've talked all about philosophy and really broken down and I've sort of you know dug deeper and deeper and asked myself hang on you know I've got to sort of justify a few of my my views here and a lot of it's coming out that I guess you know I probably haven't talked about because it doesn't fit into the standard kind of business structures and I think that's exactly what you're saying is that the stuff that's important really doesn't and that's why we've got to change the structures we've got. Yes we're not retrofitting this is not a retrofit this is a new way of doing things. And I don't have the way. I'm just practicing because I think it's the most interesting space to live and work in. I'm not remotely interested in business as usual. It's boring and it's destructive. Why would you do that when you're living into completely new systems? It's kind of chop wood, carry water every day. You just kind of kind of like walk into it and then see, is it having the impact that you wanted? Because everything has impact. Is it having the impact you set for it and it's a conscious a super conscious way of doing business and and working with financial capital was that even what you wanted to talk about though <laughs> 
Oh, this is exactly what the whole purpose of my podcast is about, is to break down, you know, where are we going? And the touch points, you know, tend to be social enterprise and they tend to be impact investing and ESG overlays in public markets. But Oh, my God, shoot me now. What is all that stuff? No, no, it is like in your heart of heart when you go to bed at night, are you working in service to the planet and your community and the community at large and to your own well-being and wholeness? We are included in that metric because working until you're fatigued and dead on your legs and can't be loving and whole and rested and nourished, that doesn't exist. The new economy doesn't accommodate for that. The new economy should accommodate for wholeness for everybody. Very good. Very good. Well, look, I hope people do follow up. We haven't talked about the the small giants companies, but people need to look into what they do and think about how they're doing things differently. But one of the ones I do want to touch on is Dumbo Feather. Subscribe to Dumbo Feather, everyone. If you want to do one thing for the new economy, subscribe to Dumbo Feather and buy it as a gift for a friend. That's what I can say. (laughs) Well, that's it. But the stories are amazing. I mean, how, how do you make your editorial decisions there? You know, what guides it? Is there a sort of a vision that guides the stories that you tell? Nathan, who's the editor and I, who I'm the editor-in-chief, we're, we're just like we kind of love each other and we're in a beautiful dialogue together and it's whatever's coming up for us. Nathan is the sort of chief curator. He will talk on topics and things that are moving in us. If it's a generative conversation between us, we'll be like, oh, that's definitely the next issue. And then it just brings forward people we want to talk to in the world. And then like your podcast, you'll notice if something's moving in you, you'll reach out. And people are generally pretty generous about talking about the things that they care about. That's what we do with Dumbo Feather. And the deeper we go into the work, the more Dumbo Feather kind of nourishes not only our community of readers and listeners, because we have a podcast that's awesome, And I'm so proud of it. And it's had hundreds of thousands of downloads and it reaches people in their innermost thoughts. You know, that's what I love about audio. It's private and it's quiet and you can take time to absorb it. So our podcast is great. And they're just platforms for us to really share what we're passionate about and and reach out to legends around the world who are doing awesome stuff. That feeds us, you know, that gives us a lot of courage and a lot of accompaniment and um, a lot of new thinking so that we're not just swirling in our own whirlpool. That's why having a platform to tell stories is so potent because you always have to reach beyond yourself and out into the world. Well, and I thought I had it all wrapped up, you know, when when I'd, I'd sort of have my own perspective. But every time I have these conversations on the podcast, I sort of make, you know, say something that is an assumption deep down, I guess, that I think's pure. And then someone goes, no, hang on, you've got an expectation there. That's you making an assumption that's not quite right. Have you thought about it in this way? And layer upon layer, this uh, this podcast really is changing me and changing my views. And, you know, who knows? Hopefully the listeners out there are feeling the same way. It doesn't even yeah, necessarily matter what the metrics are on that, don't you think? Like it's just, it's it's part of your personal growth. That's beautiful. Well, that's it. And there's certainly no financial metrics on this podcast. It's definitely just each time. But the the, the payback, as you say, is very <laughs> intangible. Isn't it? And yeah, that's passion good. to and purpose. So, well, that's it. And I just keep doing it because, you know, I, I think it's building me as a person. And yeah, hopefully can take the listeners along on that ride. And another thing that I do for my listeners at the end of every episode is ask my guests for a book recommendation. And you've talked about Dumbo Feather and people should definitely rush out and get the latest edition. Subscribe. But any other books? 
by the way, Dumbo Feather, just so everyone who doesn't know about it, we interview five people changing the world every quarter. They're long-form interviews with just absolute legends in different sectors. It's super inspiring. We love putting it together and then we love putting it out in the world because we have a, a beloved crew that, that love to read it and share with us their own stories. So that's, that's the context there. Books I'm reading. I'm reading a lot. I read Jung's autobiography recently and that was incredible. Jung, the psychoanalyst. Actually, The Book of Joy, a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu was incredible and worth a read. Very. That was a mission. I loved it. That, um, that really was a deep exploration and, and it's really pulled together a lot of the, the business side the, the conscious side, the ecology side, and brought it all together. And I think really to me the core, one of the core lessons that I can see at the top there is that we're not trying to retrofit this system. We're trying to flush it out and we've got to start again. And I think that's a really important distinction to make in business today. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for having me on the podcast and good luck with it all. Thank you so much. Stay in touch. 